Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your other host, Javi. And this is a bonus episode, and it's our first ever Halloween special. Ooh, <laughs> it's spooky. This is literally like a episode that came about, well, what, what came about... Uh, from, you know, I just want to say uh, thanks to friend of the show, Joe, because I think he was the one that led you down the rabbit hole by saying that we should review uh, Friday the 13th Part 8. Yeah, it really came out of a conversation where a friend of ours and listener of the show like really talked about uh, wanting us to review that movie. And it got it, it somehow like snowballed into a discussion about like how the year of 1989, Friday nightmare on elm street and halloween like all released like among the worst sequels in the canon and i don't know if this is true for halloween exactly because i feel like halloween is a series and i and it's very near and dear to my heart but i feel like it's a series that like has several like low points <laughs> and even though five seemed like a low point in 1989 it's i think like- Halloween Resurrection is like where everything completely actually shits itself. The more you try to scrape the bottom of the Halloween barrel, like you just find out there's more barrel at the bottom. I honestly think that you could have a legit like discussion about like whether Halloween 5, uh, Halloween Resurrection, or Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, like which among those is the absolute worst. And I don't think you'd be wrong if you picked any one of the three. <laughs> Spoiler alert, they're all bad. <laughs> Remember um, when you thought the Rob Zombie Halloween was like the new best Halloween? Yes. And you know, funny enough, two weeks ago, I watched Halloween 2007. And I am not a fan of that movie like I used to be. I thought it was okay. But there's a lot of things about it that I don't like. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so so I figured what we can do here, because we're taught the three movies that we're talking about are Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason takes Manhattan. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, part five, the dream child oh. and Halloween five, the revenge of Michael Myers, the revengeance of Michael <laughs> Myers. And honestly, I think the best place to start is probably Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> um, this is the series of the three that I'm probably the least, like, that I was the least into the lore. Like, you know what I mean? Same, like, it, it, I did yeah. not grow up with this series at all. And the first time that I really watched the Nightmare movie was actually Freddy versus Jason in theaters with my dad. <laughs> like, when it came out in theaters... And uh, Freddy versus Jason was both my introduction to the Friday series and the Nightmare franchise. Uh, So, and I think that's a good movie to think about as well, because we can chat about like how those, how the first two series actually ended up colliding together near the end. But uh, if you want a quick, I guess I'll start with a quick breakdown of the Nightmare series period. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is a 1984 movie by director Wes Craven, who obviously we've talked about in this podcast before when we talked about Scream. Um, Nightmare is the is the last of all the original slasher movies that came out. And what I mean by that is Halloween was 78. Uh, Friday the 13th Part 1 was 1980. And <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street came out in 1984. But 
Nightmare on Elm Street, like that series was being, they were cranking out a movie a year. That's why even though the series started in 84, <laughs> by 89, we were already on part five. <laughs> and, that is uh, so crazy to think about that. This pretty much became what, or I mean, you know what this reminds me of is uh, Paranormal Activity, how there was like that time in the early like, 2010s where they were just <laughs> shitting them out every like year and a half. Yeah, like, I mean, one of the reasons why these movies were so, like, why studios were so willing to make a million, because, you know, in the 1980s, like, sequels weren't even that big. Like, the only series that had, like, a, a true sequel to it that was any, like, that was any, like, like, big deal at all, it was really Godfather 2. Mm-hmm. And then the only time that people really thought about like horror sequels, it was uh, Bride of Frankenstein, like the Frankenstein series and the Dracula series and the Universal movies. Maybe Jaws. Maybe yeah, Jaws. Jaws was there uh, as well. I think Jaws two would have come out by now, but I don't yeah. know. I, I defer to you when it comes to Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's the the eighties was just when people were like, all right, well, let's see how far we can go with sequels. <laughs> you know what I mean, like. And night and Friday did this too, because they're they the first one comes out in 1980, and then by 1988 they're doing part eight. <laughs> so there was a lot, and these movies just they were cheap. You maybe spent like one million, two million dollars on a budget, and these movies were opening at 15, 15 million, like at the box office. So Mm-hmm. A studio like Paramount, which was already like one of the prestige studios of, of you know, of Hollywood. Also, you know, the Godfather series is at Paramount. Uh, they were, it was super, like, it was super beneficial for them to do it because there was a, they didn't, they own the rights to distribute the Jason movies, but they didn't actually produce them. Mm-hmm. They were produced by uh by i forget exactly what the and i'm sorry i don't know i I don't remember the name of the people who actually own the rights to it oh no we can get in this whole we can dedicate an entire episode to the shit show (laughs) that is the friday the 13th rights yeah (laughs) where it's one of those weird things where the studio like you said the studio doesn't own the rights it's like it's it's super weird and i don't want to get into it but just know that to this day um in the year of 2020 there is still like court like legal battles over who has the rights and who gets to do what with jason yeah it's litigation and one of the guys who's actually trying to get the rights to for friday the 13th to produce a movie on it is lebron james <laughs> of all the fucking people <laughs> yeah it's and and lebron james was making a big deal out of it like when halloween 2018 came out like it because it's just like halloween 2018 like essentially gave new life to this to where you're like yeah why don't we bring all of these series back and the friday series uh was owned by new line for a long time and new line was bought out by warner brothers so (laughs) there's a lot of back and forth here but essentially new line was a brand new studio in in the 80s and making the uh, nightmare on elm street movies it was very profitable for them and it essentially created their studio Mm. and uh later on you would see like the blade franchise would go through new line rush hour would go through new line uh new lord line of the rings 
Yeah, they were cranking out a shit ton of movies in the late <laughs> 90s into the early aughts. Yeah, and the reason why the studio lasted as long as it did is really because of how successful the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise was. So mm. there's like a there there's like a running like understanding online that New Line is essentially the house that Freddy built. <laughs> <laughs> I and, think even Scream, right? Even Scream was a New Line film? No, Scream was Miramax. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm tripping. Yeah, so, and we'll get into that when we get into the Halloween portion. But yeah, the original Nightmare on Elm Street was from 1984, is directed by Wes Craven, and I guess he got the idea of it because he was reading about, like, some sort of kids in, like, different countries that were talking about how they were dying in their in their sleep, right? So it was he... uh, refugees from, I think, Laos? Mm-hmm. I forgot from where, but yeah. <laughs> they were having, like, weird-ass nightmares, and then... To the point where um, people would literally wake up screaming and then have like a heart attack. And it's fucking terrifying to think about how the human body can do something like that. Yeah. So so he came up with the idea of Nightmare on Elm Street. They cast Robert Englund as the serial killer. And if you ever watched that original Nightmare on Elm Street, like Freddy Krueger is a straight up slasher you know, is very dead serious. It is the horror movie of the franchise. And there are scenes too, like in Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, there's like a body bag scene and that's all I'll say about it. Like mm-hmm. there's some really frightening stuff in it. <laughs> God, I need to go um, back and actually watch it. I haven't watched it. I, I think I've never watched number one. That's the one with Johnny Depp, right? Yeah, Johnny Depp yeah, plays a good part I in it. Ever saw it. it. It's definitely worth watching. I like the original one. I it, it's so weird. The one that's actually my favorite of that franchise is actually part two, mm-hmm. and so you know, part one obviously is about the dream demon, the dream demon Freddy Krueger. Uh, he was you know killed by the parents of Springwood, Ohio, and he was a child killer, um, and he gets revenge on all the parents in Springwood by like threatening to kill their kids in their dreams. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it's, it's essentially like a movie about like parents conspiring against children, <laughs> kind of like, right? Like I'm trying to protect you. And it's one of those weird, like scary things where it's like the world is against you. And there's a lot of people that aren't telling you what's happening and you're in super danger all the time. So it, it's, it's, it's a bit of a loss of control kind of horror with that one. The mm-hmm. second one is really really unique and strange because it changes the formula completely and what i mean by that is that freddy is no longer killing people in their dreams the second movie is all about one character named jesse and he he is like one of the few like uh male scream queens (laughs) in horror movie history and um if you ever watch that movie, it is now like considered a, a a classic gay horror movie because <laughs> essentially, you know, I feel like the movie is an allegory. Like Freddie is an allegory for homosexuality in that in that he's <laughs> in, he's trying to possess our main character, so he try he starts to possess him through dreams. And eventually this guy starts turning into Freddy a la like a werewolf movie or something. Where he becomes Freddy at night or something. (laughs) Yeah, it is totally something like that. 
and uh, he has like a really like unrequited love with his best male friend in that Mm -hmm. Um, the female character that you that traditionally movies would set them up as like a couple and that they're going to fall in love with each other he -hmm. actually doesn't even seem that he's that interested in her (laughs) (laughs) nice but but at the end of basically like at the end of that movie it's almost like the gr- kissing the girl essentially makes him not gay anymore and thus kills Freddy. And that's how Nightmare on Elm Street 2 goes. <laughs> I would recommend watching it. And I'd also recommend, like, Shudder just did an awesome documentary on it uh, mm-hmm. called Scream Queen. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the story of the actor, Mark Patton, who plays the character of Jesse in that movie. Because mm-hmm. basically, like, the character who played Jesse ends up coming out of the closet later. And the guy who wrote the film is actually came out of the closet later as well. Oh, so it's one so of those like movies. Undertones aren't, weren't just implied. They was like, <laughs> they were made on purpose. Except, yeah. except our main character, like, you know, like the actor, Mark Patton wasn't really told about it. Mm-hmm. And they basically like the movie became a, di- like a disaster at the time that it came out and essentially ruined this guy's career. Oh, um, so the documentary is actually about him like sitting down with the writer for the first time and essentially saying, look, th- what you did basically cost me my entire career. But the nice mm-hmm. part about that documentary as well is it shows that like that movie has now become an absolute cult classic uh, and, <laughs> and people love it. And especially gay people, like people in the LGBTQA community are huge fans of that movie. So, you know, it's Just like it, uh, the Babadook, if you didn't know. Yeah, it, it is totally. It, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like it's now become adopted by that by the community. And it's awesome for the actor as well, like Mark Patton, because now he is someone who is widely loved throughout the horror community as well. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, I think is probably. I love part two. I would say part three is is one of those that's recognized as being as good as part one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one's called Dream Warriors. Yeah. And, yeah. So Nancy, this is the one I wanted. Yeah. So Nancy, the main character from Nightmare on Elm Street one ends up coming back. And so do like some other characters who are now like they're now like at an insane asylum. And it's basically like it's basically a slasher movie meets X-Men because all of these kids have special dream abilities and it really is a movie about them fighting back against Freddy. And I would also say that this is the movie where Freddy starts talking more and ends up becoming more of like this jokester, right? Or like the parody of yes. Of Freddy that we all know and love now, bitch. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Patricia Arquette is in that as well. Like, it's one of her earliest, earliest uh, roles. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of characters that were beloved in that movie as well. And uh, yeah, I I would recommend that. I would recommend everyone go watch it. In my opinion, I think, like, I haven't seen New Mutants. But if I were writing New Mutants or creating that movie... Like, and they were talking about how they wanted to make it like a horror movie, like an X-Men horror movie kind of stuff. That is what Dream Warriors is to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and anytime that I picture something like, uh, like you know, um, New Mutants, that's exactly what I would picture. 
uh nightmare on elm street 4 uh the dream master introduces the character of alice and alice is going to be the main character in nightmare on elm street 5 so essentially (laughs) what they do in in nightmare 4 is they start off by murdering all of the characters that you liked from dream warriors (laughs) fuck you nancy it's all about alice now she's my real screen queen yeah and alice is becomes the main character because a the actress probably wasn't as resistant as the rest of the actors from the earlier nightmare movies to come back and also uh because her character was someone who could pull freddy from the dream world into reality so now we have Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, which is the movie that we watched for this episode. Oh my god, this <laughs> fucking movie. So um, usually this is the point in the, in the story where we would give you guys like the, our breakdown and we would go through the movies and the main movie beats. But because this is our special, what we're going to do is give you guys just kind of our general thoughts of the film, right? Now, we're going to talk about... I guess I'll start off since I kind of uh, jumped in, <laughs> but my thoughts on the dream child. Fuck. I hate this movie. <laughs> like, I really don't know what to say, man. Like this movie's such a trip. Like it was hilarious. Like watching this film and then like texting Angel about it. And like, I watched it maybe like two days ago before this episode. Angel texted me, I think yesterday was when he watched it. And he goes, man, he goes, what what about this weird ass sex scene in the beginning of the movie? To which I responded, they were having sex. Dude, I could not like, it is so bizarre. Like, I thought I knew what body parts I was looking at that were pulsating. And then all of a sudden, like, I didn't see a nipple. And I was like, what the fuck am I looking at? Or like, I swear, I thought I was seeing an ass. And then like, I saw no crack. I was like, what the fuck is it's going on here? It's just back. It was the weirdest thing. It reminded me of the weird ass sex scene from the room where Johnny was, you know, having sex with Lisa's <laughs> belly button the entire time. Absolutely. And it's so weird because, again, like I just did a quick breakdown of of how the series got to where we were. And honestly, it's like it is super fucking bizarre, like that this is where they wanted this franchise to go, because Freddie had become like a a pop culture icon at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was hosting music videos on MTV in the 80s. Apparently, he he recorded a album of like 80s pop music (laughs) um oh my god this is all robert england in character by the way (laughs) yeah and 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 around this time at some point there was a nightmare on elm street series called freddy's nightmares i remember that i remember reading about that not that i saw it because i'm way too young for that and robert england like was the host of that as well as freddy so freddy was overexposed and i don't know if they thought that maybe because he was so overexposed that they wanted to take the franchise in such a radically different direction but they did like freddie is hardly in this movie he's not the main focus of this Mm -hmm. uh someone who is the main focus is amanda krueger who is supposed to be freddie's mom who was a nun (laughs) that was raped by a hundred maniacs (laughs) Jesus fucking like in some insane asylum and I thought it was like a dream sequence or like some sort of like 
urban legend or something, but no, no, no. Oh, they are telling you that this is how Freddy Krueger was born, and it makes absolutely no sense. For some reason, the hospital looks like hell, so you think Freddy was born in hell for like a little bit of it? It looks like something out of Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, I don't it looks like a fucking fever dream of a fucking scene, dude. It is so bizarre. It is it, like just the entire film was it was like it didn't know really where it wanted to go. I thought I will uh, the nicest thing I can say about uh the dream child is I thought the body horror elements, I thought like the special effects, especially given it's 89, was really fantastic. Did you like oh. Muppet Freddy? No, fuck that. I'm talking about uh, I'm talking about the body horror stuff, like when uh, what's his name, Danny, like turns into the motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, it was super Cronenberg, I guess. <laughs> it, it reminded me of Cronenberg. It reminded me of a thing, but actually, no, I'm going to backtrack what I just said. The compliment I just said, because I come to think of it, the thing came out what seven years before this, and it had way mm-hmm. better special effects. Yeah, you know what I will give this movie credit for a lot though is a lot of the nightmares. Like I, I thought that despite the fact that this is a bad movie and that I, I would get so disoriented because I couldn't understand. Like I couldn't tell sometimes. Like, are we in a dream or are we in reality? Like, why is this weird shit happening now? Like, it doesn't. Like, there was a lot of stuff where I was. There were portions of this movie where i was like widely confused in but, that case it's very i guess uh david lynch right like it's very like you don't know what exactly is taking place in the dream world and what's taking place in the real world like everything feels like a weird haze of unknowing no shut up like i, heard- I know david lynch i know david lynch and nightmare on elm street part five the dream child you are no david lynch i'm not saying it's Okay, first off, fuck you. Second of all, <laughs> what I'm saying is like there's an element of this weird like fantasy. You know what? Fuck it. I don't want to explain it. I don't want to defend this movie. This movie is garbage. <laughs> well, what I am going to defend actually, and what I did want to defend was I my favorite scene of this movie is the comic book death. Like the 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 one character in the movie who is an artist and who draws like comic strips and stuff like that. When they oh, go into stupid. that, when they go into that black and white world, and and like he turns into a cartoon, like I thought the cartoon special effects was cool. I thought Shut like Aha uh-huh, did that earlier with fucking Take on Me. <laughs> it was way better than that in that fucking music video. <laughs> All right, but again, we're searching for compliments to give this movie. This movie is about right. the main character Alice from The Dream Master. Her and her boyfriend Danny are. Uh, are have now like procreated and Alice is pregnant throughout the entire movie. And basically what's happening is her baby inside of her belly is having dreams. And for some reason, his, his dreams are the baby's dreams are killing everyone else. And I don't know if this is like a nightmare on Elm street two thing where Freddie is using the baby to come back into the real world. <laughs> or like, she's going to give birth to Freddie or like, you know, like obviously, like, if you were, okay. If you're thinking about like, a pregnancy horror movie like wouldn't you think something like rosemary's baby which we have covered a aka like alice is pregnant and who she's gonna give birth to is basically new freddy if you give me that like if you give me those story beats i'm assuming that freddy is somehow going to go from the dream world into this baby subconscious so he can become human again 
Yeah, I mean, like that, that's, that, but that that's, makes, but but that's clean, right? That, that makes too clean. much sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the problem here is that Alice has a baby, who we see visions of him as like a, as like a uh, a, a first grader or for some partner. fucking reason he's like seven years old, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like he's trying to help her find like Freddie's mom. And they're in some sort of like weird dream church, and he turns into like evil Carol Ann from Poltergeist Three at some point to try to like trick Freddy into like, you know, falling for something so that they can set him up to die. Like I don't know. It, it, there's it. There's so much about this movie that just doesn't make any. Again, remember when been... he was a child killer? <laughs> yeah, like it could have been so simple, and then Freddy just like I mean. He shows up to kill these kids somehow. Like I, I, I don't even understand how the dream logic works. Like, <laughs> like because he's is... not actually in their dreams. He's go- traveling through Alice's dream. Is my understanding? Alice's baby's dream. It's <laughs> the best part too is that Alice has like a friend who is like a a medical assistant or some sort of like high school nurse. <laughs> and what she's and she's able to call the doctor of the hospital and have him give unscheduled ultrasounds to Alice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, you can just call in favors whenever in the eighties. He could, just... and the best part is the doctor could smoke in the doors as he's doing the ultrasound with the pregnant woman. <laughs> and and beyond just that, if the doctor has any kind of inkling of the fact that Alice might be looking for Freddy Krueger or Alice might, you know, if, if Alice mentions the fact that people are dying in dreams or some sort of weird shit happens, as soon as, as soon as like flags start going off in his head, he's going to call uh, Alice's boyfriend's parents and tell them that Alice cannot take care of a baby by herself. It turns into like a, family drama in the middle because obviously her baby daddy's dies like in that Mm -hmm. dream where he like turns into like a motorcycle some sort of biomechanical motorcycle (laughs) it's so dumb (laughs) it's so dumb oh that's the yeah i just wanted to talk about the real quick shitty dreams there's the model friend that dies because she thinks she ate herself to death that her family's like like function like they have a bunch of guests over that okay that scene the scene leading up to that what's her name uh greta's death Mm -hmm. did feel i will say that did make me feel very like i was creeped out very uncomfortable because of how over the top the acting was from the mom and all the like the dinner guests well you know what there was an eerie quality to it and i'll give them Something that is like David Lynch, <laughs> there is something that is very David Lynch or just is very frightening to me is like just thinking about like you're in a room full of people. Everyone is like in their own world doing their own thing. And then the fact that you could be there and then all of a sudden everyone in the room stops what they're doing abruptly and they start looking at you with an evil look on their face. So creepy. Like that kind of stuff. Like yeah. that, that that worked for me. Like that if kind of stuff worked. would have kept doing shit like that, I would have been like, oh, this movie's fantastic. But no, at some point there's Muppet fucking Freddy. There's uh, Greta's cheeks like grow 20 times their regular like size. 
and she stays like that like she doesn't immediately die <laughs> so we get the weird stupid paper mache special effect of her big inflated cheeks yep mark and, was cool i liked mark and think he was the only cool character in my opinion yeah uh, so there's a that's nightmare on elm street 5 <laughs> I guess the nicest thing I can say about Nightmare on Elm Street 5 is Mark is maybe the best, like, written horror character because, like, he flips out on Yvonne and then he immediately acknowledges how much of a dick move that was and apologizes and, like, means it. And yeah. I was like, oh, and Yvonne, nice guy. Yvonne is the, is the high school medical assistant friend. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it, these, they, they have, like, this group of friends they feel so disparate to me, like where they're they, all kind of doing. It feels like they're not friends. Like, no, <laughs> literally everyone is in their own movie throughout this movie. <laughs> yeah, and, and and the fact that Yvonne's character is just so unwilling to even entertain the idea of Freddy Krueger, like she is so against it. <laughs> like it is, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like you know, it's like if you had a friend and like they were pregnant, it's like would you not at least like try to hear them out and stuff like that nah, maybe that's maybe that's the horror element is the fact that like pregnant women are not believed by anyone <laughs> yeah but you know there was a little movie called rosemary's baby that did it way <laughs> yeah and we already discussed that movie and it's already in our archi- archive if you want to listen to it <laughs> yeah if you want to listen to us talk about a good movie go do that but after you finish this one <laughs> but spoiler alert javi doesn't like any of these movies <laughs> Yeah, I definitely did not like the Dream Child. I thought sequences of it were cool. Um, after this movie comes out, <laughs> the next movie ends up. Uh, I think it's 1990 or something. Yeah, it should Isn't be 19. Or... It should be 1990 or 91. And the next one is going to be called Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. Mm-hmm. And that one revolves around another like escape, a bunch of escaped like inmate kids who end up back in the town of Springwood. Except by that time, like there's no kids left in the town, and it's all adults. And there's a bunch of crazy shit that happens in there that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, 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 they tried to do like a 3D sequence with that movie in the 90s. That's terrible. Uh, Freddy ends up doing Nintendo Power Glove uh, jokes in it <laughs> and somebody dies on a bed of spikes and basically they start like taking their cues from like Looney Tunes cartoons in that movie mm. so that that was clear like this was clearly the death of the franchise because it was one of the worst received and reviewed movies in the series up until that point Mm-hmm. And what you're going to find out about all three of the franchises here is that this after this 1989 like entry in their franchise, the next one actually ends up being like just as bad cuz they're all like they're all pre-scream like mm-hmm. horror sequels when the genre was essentially considered like irrelevant. Um and it's so ironic that the one that brings uh well that one that brings Freddy back from the grave right being new nightmare is directed by Wes craven who also brought back the entire genre <laughs> yeah and the funny thing is Wes craven like i've seen new nightmare and new nightmare so it, it doesn't take place in any of the in any of the world that the previous uh, nightmare on elm street movies it's a direct sequel to the original where all the main where all the uh the care the cast of the original movie are being haunted by a demon 
who's decided to take uh, the shape of Freddy Krueger. So he's like a really weird, tricked out, demonic Freddy, but he's not actually Freddy. Mm-hmm. And he Super has, guys. <laughs> yeah, and he has like you know claws for hands and stuff like that. And it, it, the I I thought it was, I don't think it's that good to be honest. And I think the it's it's like Wes Craven's first voyage into meta horror. Mm-hmm. And I feel like once we had the Kevin Williamson written screen scream, uh, you know, and it was like someone else was there to kind of do a little bit of quality control is when mm-hmm. I actually think that it gets a lot better where he gets the meta horror down. Right. Um, so that's, and, and the funny thing is like in that time in the, in the early nineties, like these studios already wanted to start doing Freddy versus Jason and Freddy versus Jason essentially spends the entire decade of the nineties in development hell. So because they couldn't really agree on a script, in a direction for that movie that's why you had these weird interim movies that existed uh so you know uh, i guess from here we can jump to friday the 13th if you'd like <laughs> so friday the 13th the original comes out in 1980 uh this movie and what's what's widely remembered about the original film is that jason is not the killer it's actually jason's mother and the idea is that she's trying to get revenge on all the camp counselors from Camp Crystal Lake because they, 20 years earlier, they allowed, they were having sex and they allowed Jason to drown in the water. All those stupid horned up teenagers and all their <laughs> sex and drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> Miss Pamela Voorhees isn't putting up with that. Not today. And that series just goes all the sequels like barely are tethered to each other uh, by any kind of storyline uh, nightmare on elm street i think the like most cohesive movies that are that are in that franchise are dream warriors the dream master and the dream child those three movies uh, three to five are essentially a trilogy and in the friday the 13th movies the original one jason's mom's a killer the second one Jason is the killer in that movie, but oh, we wearing... find out Jason never actually died in one <laughs> yeah. of the best jump scares in movie history. But then he grows up. He, he grows much... up instantly. He actually yeah. grows up like over one year. <laughs> it's supposed to be one year later, and he becomes a full-grown monster, like with the sack over his head. But I think the reason before that is that ending to Friday the Thirteenth ends up being chalked up to a dream sequence. Uh, so yeah, Jason was already an adult. Yeah. So yeah, the main character from the original is the one that's being stalked by Jason in the second movie. Except Jason is wearing a burlap sack over his head <laughs> in sack that movie. Boy Jason, that's all our favorites. <laughs> and he actually does not get the hockey mask until uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three D, which was another movie where they tried to capital. Except this was like eighty one or eighty two. And they tried to capitalize on the 3D trend that was happening in not just horror movies, but just movies in general. So Jaws did it. Friday the 13th did it. In the 90s, Nightmare on Elm Street tries to do it. Halloween 2 almost did this. They almost made that movie in 3D, but the director oh my God, decided that, against it thank, because they thought it was too, too it would be too expensive. Thank the fo- <laughs> Oh, oh, wait. <laughs> because it was too expensive not because it's hokey and trash gotcha <laughs> yeah uh plus um plus uh halloween 2 uh john carpenter was involved with it so there was a bit of quality control with that one 
Um, oh, that's the one they had a budget. Remember when Michael Myers explodes? Oh, wait, we'll yeah. talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. But um, so in the third movie, we get Jason with the hockey mask. Uh, that's really the only thing that that one is known for. Part four, we begin what's called the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> and that Tommy is. Jarvis. So there is a uh, character named Tommy Jarvis that's introduced in Friday at 13, part four, the final chapter. and he is played by Corey Feldman. And the funny thing is that both Corey Feldman and Crispin Glover are in that movie. So there's actual, like, it was Crispin Glover the year before he did Back to the Future. It was uh, Corey Feldman, like, a few years before Lost Boys. But I think by this point, he was already in stuff, so he was Mm -hmm. a more recognizable face. Uh, He is, like, one of the few survivors of Friday the 13th for the final chapter. Uh, funny enough, the final chapter was not the end of the franchise. <laughs> it was originally... You consi- lied! They originally wanted to make it the, the final one. So the next one comes out, and it's called Friday at 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning. <laughs> What's unique about Friday at 13th, Part 5, though, is the killer actually isn't Jason. Mm-hmm. What they wanted to do in that movie in the franchise is uh, have Jason like be actually dead, and the killer ends up being, well, it's it's a mystery, so I don't want to spoil it for those who haven't watched it. But Tommy Jarvis is one of the characters in that franchise, and he survives. Uh, so th- him surviving is not a spoiler. Um, or is it? Like you know, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but Friday. Then we have Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, which is maybe my favorite in that franchise. Uh, Tommy Jarvis and another kid are escaping from a mental asylum. (laughs) (laughs) Or he gets super drunk and tries to exhume uh, Jason. (laughs) Yes. And Jason ends up being brought back to life by lightning. And (laughs) so this is the beginning of the second part of the franchise, which is like Jason's essentially just a zombie from here on out. He's a violent zombie. But before we move on, one thing I did want to talk about um little little factoid about friday the 13th you know there's a friday the 13th video game where you can play through like the different jasons and different scenarios right i've seen it and i have not played it yet and i would like to play it one day so one of the cool things you can do is that if you meet certain mission requirements your uh victim can escape and you actually or it's either your victim escapes or when you die if you um, do certain mission requirements, you can actually call in Tommy Jarvis as um, like kind of like a, and he's like the only character in the game that can actually fight against Jason. He like comes in with a shotgun and like an axe and you can play as him and set up traps and try to like fight Jason one on one. I'm like, that is actually really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, Tommy Jarvis is presented as he's really the only person that's presented as Jason's equal in this franchise i mean uh, drawing the parallel to uh halloween which we're going to talk about in a little bit it's pretty much laurie strode in the 2018 halloween right kind of Mm -hmm. it's someone who who had an experience with jason at a young age and essentially grows up to want nothing more than to kill him yeah (laughs) (laughs) um then after that movie we have friday the 13th part seven which is the series decides to go in a different direction. 
no more Tommy Jarvis. The main character in that one is actually like a telekinetic, <laughs> which is not dissim not too dissimilar from Carrie. <laughs> mm -hmm. So basically, like what that what that movie is is it's legally distinct Carrie versus Jason. <laughs> the movie no one asked for, but you got anyway, you dumb bitch. <laughs> exactly. And it really ends with the telekinetic girl like resurrecting her dead father from a watery grave and he <laughs> ends up pulling Jason to the bottom of Crystal Lake. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, these movies stop making any sense. <laughs> And that's how we get to Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. And this movie actually starts with Jason at the bottom of the lake. So it, it really picks up right after part seven ends. <laughs> Except, so, Angel, how does Jason Voorhees get brought back this time? <laughs> Lightning again. <laughs> <So> <laughs> No, uh, the worst part is that it's like electric cables that run underwater. Yeah, does this Getting happen? <laughs> I don't. Maybe it happened in '89, but I don't think there's giant cables of electricity that run underwater anymore. At least there's, not like that. There's so much shit that happens in this movie that I I don't understand. <laughs> I think it, this, and again, and, and you and I talked about this before we did this episode. Of the three movies that we watched for this episode, for this special, right? Mm -hmm. This movie is by far the worst. The it's absolute worst. Hands down, of the three, it is objectively and <laughs> subjectively the worst. And it's so fucking bizarre. And it hurts, because I of the three movies we're talking about, of the three franchises, I love Friday the 13th. I think Friday the 13th is my favorite. And it really sucks that uh like this one is super weird like just to get like just to show you guys an example like what i was texting angel earlier today and had to check in with him to see if he watched a weird cut of the film where it looked like one the violence was taken out and two there was a weird cutaways that looked like it was meant for tv and apparently Angel felt the same way or had the same experience as I did, yeah. which makes me wonder, was this, did we just watch a cut that was meant for TV or was this movie always meant for TV that got a theatrical release? Well, we watched it on AMC plus. So my assumption from that would be that we watched the AMC cut. That and that's the aired. thing. I would agree with you, but then I went on and watched Halloween uh the revenge of michael myers mm -hmm. also on amc plus and that one had everything that's true that's so true that's what I, I i yeah because there there is nudity in this too and yeah i, can't I saw imagine, some booty, yeah know? and i can't imagine that 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 would have shown up on amc <laughs> so it's super weird where apparently the there a good decent cut of this film is hard to track down and I'm assuming that's what happened, that we watched what was meant. I don't to think there's any good cut of this film. We're not going to find a... We're, <laughs> there's nothing that will redeem this film. We're not going to find the William Peter Blatty director cut of this movie <laughs> ever. Oh, my God. That, like, there is no hidden scene of Tommy Jarvis coming back from the dead on a motorcycle all and, like, dressed like Mad Max to fight Jason. Like, no, this is just Garbo. All right. So when you think of Jason Takes Manhattan, mm -hmm. what do you think the movie is going to be about? Like, just if someone was to just tell you, you know, Friday the 13th, 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, like, what would you assume that movie is going to be about? 
Uh, Batman. I mean, Batman. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm tired. No, we're keeping that. <laughs> yeah, no, go ahead. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Jason killing his way through New York City. Simple as that. Right. So we, we it would see Jason maybe on Ellis Island. Jason in Times Square. Jason, Jason in the Big Apple. <laughs> Jason on the Brooklyn Bridge. Jason at Yankee Stadium. Like, there are so many different places that you could think of putting Jason when you think about Jason being in New York. <gasps> Jason at Yankee Stadium, and then he has to fight the ghost of Mickey Mantle? Fuck yeah. <laughs> Except this movie is mistitled because this movie hardly takes place in New York at all. And this movie was actually filmed in Vancouver. Uh, only one sequence is actually shot in New York. Uh, most of the movie takes place on a boat. <laughs> Jason on a boat, bitch. <laughs> and Crystal Lake, I think Crystal Lake was in New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken. You know what the best part about this movie being filmed in Vancouver is? Is that Vancouver isn't even on the same fucking like coast as New York City? <laughs> well, you know what? You could probably get away with it, but the problem is that the New York scenes in this movie don't feel like New York at all. And I've never been to New York, but I oh, know for like a goddamn lot. fact that this absolutely does not feel like New York City. This feel it felt like a set on a back lot, and it felt what someone who watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. <laughs> yes. It felt like the New York from TMNT. It was so stupid. <laughs> All right. So this movie follows a group of teenagers that are on a boat. Uh, they it is This is supposed to be like their senior night or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going on a cruise from wherever the hell. For some reason, their cruise starts near Crystal Lake. <laughs> and it's gonna end up in New York City. <laughs> um, the main character's name is uh, Rennie. Rennie. Yeah. Um, there are other teenagers that are in this. I I honestly can't remember any of the names. One of the adults in this is Rennie's uncle. Who is he? Like an administrator, or is like a teacher, or what? I think he's supposed to be the principal. <laughs> yeah, because he is on this trip with them. <laughs> he is demanding homework from a student who's there. And my question is like, why would you demand homework from someone on a trip? Why wouldn't you have just told him they can't come on that trip? <laughs> oh no, Charles McCulloch, the doctor. He's uh, he's actually a bio teacher. That's why. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> he's like he's like the only admit. Is he the only teacher that's on this boat? No, there's the English teacher Colleen, and I think I don't see her too much, so I forget what. I'm assuming she died. <laughs> Yeah, probably. I, I mean, but the thing know. is, there's only like twelve kids on this senior night. Yeah, and there's like a part in this. There's like a section of this boat where there's like a, it's like supposed to be a ball, and there's gonna be like a some sort of congratulatory senior dance. And I'm like, how many people are even here? <laughs> that... It looked so sad when that girl got killed in the senior ballroom <laughs> because it's like maybe like four tables, right? And um, yeah, so one of the kids is like a videographer. One of them is a guitar player. Like these people are defined by like one trait and that's it. Mm -hmm. Rennie is our main character. Rennie's 
boy toy is i don't know what he is <laughs> he's just a guy who's in this movie <laughs> um jason gets onto this boat and he starts killing people and okay jason no machete been, by the way no no machete in this at all he starts with a crossbow or like a harpoon gun <laughs> they try to recreate the kill from i think three where he shoots the girl with the harpoon gun, but instead of getting the cool shot where he shoots her through the face, he just stabs her with the harpoon randomly. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of this like bizarre like kill from Halloween 4, where like Michael the shotgun Myers, kill? Yeah, where he just like shoves a shotgun into someone's stomach. <laughs> but it's so slow that you're just like, you can literally fight out of this. <laughs> But anyway, uh, okay, Jason's been in Crystal Lake for about a year, right? Like, mm-hmm. this guy would fucking smell. Would he not? <laughs> yeah, especially since he's, you know, a murder zombie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, no one seems to smell him when he's coming. Um he easily just like slices through all of these people. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's one of my favorite lines, and I hope someone <laughs> isolates it. No one seems to smell him when he's coming. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no one sees the stupid stink lines that follow him. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing particularly related to anything else previously you know in this franchise like none of this takes place at a camp none of these kids are counselors no Um, like literally this is just him having a murder boner like he kills a kid with hot stones used in like saunas like the kills are so fucking bizarre in this movie dude he straight up punches one kid's head off yes which is great (laughs) Um, that's by far my favorite part of this whole fucking movie jason also did reach his his overexposure point in this movie as well mm-hmm. to advertise this movie jason Voorhees appeared on the arsenio hall show <laughs> which is like a late night television show in the late 80s early 90s uh hosted by arsenio hall the comedian um, and that that like interview is on YouTube, and it's literally Jason not saying anything, and Arsenio Hall like trying to carry the interview for ten minutes. <laughs> that is awkward as shit. It is just as awkward as it sounds. <laughs> but you know what I will, what I do like about this movie, it's actually the second appearance of my personal favorite, Jason Kane Hodder. Yes, and I think he was yeah he played Kane like I don't Kane he played Jason like five times including like the bad ones like jason goes to hell and jason x yeah kane i remember kane hotter being jason for all the bad ones (laughs) and it sucks because he's like the best jason yeah this is the best jason has ever looked because kane hotter is naturally built like a fucking brick shithouse but they're all like the bad ones <laughs> They're the ones with the shittiest script and like this like the shittiest concepts. Yeah. So once we get to the last third of the movie, they finally get to New York City. Uh this New York City, it, it like you said, it looks like something that someone who saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would have thought New York City was like. There are barrels of toxic waste in alleyways here. And yeah, everyone knows about the thriving toxic waste companies out <laughs> in New York. Um, there are several appearances by ghost 
child Jason in this. One, he shows up as like a kid with a googly eye, like in <laughs> in one of the boat rooms, and he appears to Rennie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he appears to Rennie as like a mutilated toxic waste monster like the guy from robocop oh oh my god (laughs) when rennie's like stolen and and commandeered the police car (laughs) so rennie decides to run over the kid and and ends up like just blowing up the car (laughs) (laughs) uh don't forget the part where like the like rennie and i forgot what her dude's name is like run into the diner and demand for help and everyone is just like, it's New York, honey. No one's going to help you. Yeah. And Jason just kicks in the door and beats the shit out of the biggest guy in the room. Like, I kind of like those, like, Jason in New York moments. But I think that those things come way too little, way too late in this movie. Like, he takes you... Manhattan in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> And he doesn't even really take Manhattan. He is chasing the two people that he saw on the boat. Like, there are millions of people in this city. There are so many things you could do. And that's where it gets weird, because at this point in the series, Jason is just supposed to be, like, a murder machine. But for some reason, he doesn't murder freely. No. (laughs) <laughs> it's like you gotta be a horned up teenager for you to face the wrath of no or pr- particularly this is supposed to be some sort of revenge plot for jason to want to kill rennie and and like why like she's like there's nothing particularly interesting or like that would Was make she even want... the not carry girl yeah like it's like no like there's nothing about this that like makes much sense at all as to some if this was Jason chasing Tommy Jarvis in New York, that would make so much more sense as to why he's not looking for or attacking anyone else. But we just wrote a better movie right there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, but like again, it's way too late. There's just not a lot going on. Um, the get the New York gags don't really land. You know which movie actually does the killer in the big city, like thing better than this <laughs> and i would probably yeah. argue that we need to review that movie at some point in the future what better movie? or two? <laughs> oh, definitely <laughs> yeah with uh with danny glover as yes. a detective in like a weird war zone los angeles yes and there's even that a, movie and despite the fact that this la doesn't really have subways there is a subway sequence in it <laughs> like yeah i remember that it's very iconic and i think that's the one where bill paxton gets murdered <laughs> yeah and, but anyway I, again it's like there's so many things it could have done the train sequence doesn't feel particularly new york uh it's not particularly interesting because again he is following these same two people uh they get off this train he gets electrocuted by the third rail in the subway um but that's not gonna kill him no he's he's gonna continue chasing these people so they end up like running out of the subway they get down into the sewer for whatever reason and uh this massive like french catacomb sewer (laughs) that they're all in um they run into a maintenance guy who's down there 
when they're looking for a way out. And this is the fucking best part of this movie because the maintenance guy tells them that every single night at midnight, they flush out the sewers of New York City with toxic waste. <laughs> <laughs> Where is the waste coming from? (laughs) It was so fucking dumb. And then he's, and then the best part is like, oh yeah, he goes, well, if we're here for any 10 minutes longer, it's going to catch us. And I'm like, wait, you guys have the guy in the tunnel has zero control over when the waste goes shooting out of the city. I'm like, that's kind of dangerous as shit. No, you know what the fucking best part of that scene was? Is when the toxic waste <laughs> water was starting to flood the sewer and <laughs> hitting Jason. All I could think of was that Simpsons episode where they're filming the Radioactive Man movie. <laughs> and Rainier Wolfcastle is going there saying, the goggles, they do nothing. It's just Jason being carried away by water with his mask and being like, the mask does nothing. <laughs> Oh my god, that poor dude, that poor maintenance worker was literally there just to help these two stupid teenagers and just for his troubles, he immediately gets murdered. Yeah. We did get to see like sludge-faced Jason though. Oh, when he takes his mask off to scare those punks, remember? Yeah, and then later in the sewer we see him when the mask actually comes off and he's like mush-faced Jason. Oh, it's so dumb. He looked kind of like Toxie. He reminded me of Toxie. Yeah, I've heard that before. Oh my god, I would love Toxic Avenger versus Jason from Men. <laughs> yeah, but basically, long story short, <laughs> this movie kills the Friday the 13th franchise. Yep. Well, it essentially kills it in that Paramount ends up selling its stake in Friday the 13th from this point on out. Um, and the next uh, movie in this franchise wouldn't be released until New Line Cinema got a hold of it. So we have Jason and we have Freddy and they're both under new line. And this is when all the talks of Freddy versus Jason were really starting to come up. But again, th- this movie languished in development hell for so long that we actually had Sean S. Cunningham, who is the director of the original Friday, come back and he ends up directing <laughs> uh, Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday <laughs> in the interim of this, which is the most, it's actually like, it may not be as like jump the shark bad as this movie is, but it is fucking weird and it is no better. It feels like a direct to DVD or direct to video or direct to streaming movie, right? This one felt like a direct to DVD movie. (laughs) Yeah. But the other one is somehow just as bad, if not, maybe worse. (laughs) Well, Um, basically, I was going to say the important takeaway from the, from Jason goes to hell is that we get that awesome teaser Freddy versus Jason. We do at the end of the movie. But before we get that, the movie basically explains to us that Jason is like a demon snake who can hop bodies. Oh my God. And he spends the entire movie jumping from one person to another. Like in, in terms of the canon, 
it makes no fucking sense. Like, mm-hmm. you're like, where the fuck did this like myth come mythos come from? None of it like was ever hinted at in a previous Friday movie. And yeah, again, it's like the only thing that was awesome about it is at the end of that movie, you see the mask like in this like sand or dirt or whatever, and you see the Freddy glove pop up and Freddy ends, Freddy's like glove ends up grabbing the Jason mask. But the funny thing about that is that you were like, you, you would think from watching that, all right, Jason versus Freddy is the next one. But no, actually, in between this and Freddy versus Jason, we get Jason X, which is Jason. <laughs> Surprise, <in space>. bitch. <laughs> oh my God, this one is so stupid. I love it. Oh my God. Like, yeah, Jason X, for those of you that haven't seen it, the premise is that the government has taken Jason put him in a uh in a bunker under Camp Crystal Lake and are trying to find out why he can recover from virtually any damage so that they can pump a bunch of soldiers full of Jason juice and turn them into super soldiers. And what ends up happening is that when he of course because he escapes and murders everybody, uh he ends up getting frozen cryo in like a cryogenically frozen like chamber with this woman that he almost killed. And for some reason, instead of, I don't know, killing both of them, it freezes everything within that chamber. And then they wake up like a thousand years in the future. (laughs) This is the one where Jason like ends up getting blown apart by an android. And then he gets brought back by nanomachines. And he comes back with the stupid looking, well, depending on who you talk to, is either really stupid looking or the fucking awesome metal hockey man. Yeah, he looked like Shredder from Ninja Turtles. Or something. It was super Shredder. I loved it. It was so cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and then from there, that's when they do Freddy versus Jason. Which I, what I like about that movie fun, is that it, what I like about that movie is that it actually simplifies both franchises, and it feels more like just a direct sequel to those like original movies because Jason. Like so, Freddie is uh, showing up in Jason's dreams as Jason's mother, and he basically like wakes him up and gets Jason to start killing kids for him in Springwood, and the kids all start remembering Freddie, and that's what starts bringing Freddie back to life. And they and that uh, that that like ending scene is actually pretty fucking awesome. Like I oh, would totally. I I would probably venture to say, Freddie versus Jason is maybe the best sequel in both of those franchises. It's really, it's really crazy because originally that movie was supposed to have Jay and Silent Bob in it, and that's why the stoner <laughs> kid he's dressed like Jay um, for some fucking reason, not sure why. But it was one of those movies that it was very self-referential. It was fun, like it wasn't afraid to be goofy in a good way. Um, but at the same time, it was still like a pretty. It had a, a, its moments of legitimate horror, you know. Like the scene where the girl that looks like Brittany Murphy but wasn't Brittany Murphy, the main character <laughs> chick, when she gets attacked by Freddy in her dream and she rips his ear off and brings it to the to the human world. <laughs> Kelly Rowland was in that movie. And Kelly Rowland was, like, was in that movie. Most people now won't won't. Re- I mean, younger kids now won't really know Kelly Rowland because she was like the not Beyonce member, uh, like you know, of Destiny's Child. <laughs> but at, when that movie came out, like Destiny's Child had just recently like split up <laughs> so so she was still like very very well known remember jason ritter was in that movie fucking john ritter's son <laughs> yeah 
It's such a weird grab bag of people, but for some reason it was fun. It had great kills. Like the part where Jason literally bisects somebody with a machete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's one of those that it's like if you want to get the bad taste of any of the rest of the franchise, either franchise out of your mouth, definitely go check out Freddy vs. Jason. Yep. All right. Now we're the Angel's bread and butter. <laughs> we are at the movie that I love the most out of the three we're talking about today. And love that is... is a very relative term in this case. <laughs> and all right, let me go very quickly to how we got to Halloween 5. So We've already reviewed the original Halloween in our very first episode of this show. It's probably a rough listen. I've never gone back to listen to that first episode. So I'm going to do a quick recap of that. The original movie is Michael Myers. Uh, It starts with Michael Myers, a six-year-old kid in a clown costume who kills his sister. Um, He's put away in an insane asylum for 15 years. And on Halloween night in 1978, he escapes from his sanitarium where he was under the care of Dr. Loomis, his psychiatrist, and uh, ends up in the small town of Haddonfield, where he was from. Uh, there he ends up going back to his childhood home. And while he is sitting in his childhood home, he uh, senses that so, I mean, he sees that someone has come up to the front step of his house, and that is Laurie Strode. So once he sees Laurie Strode from the window, from like the window of his house, he spends the rest of the movie following her and her in particular. Uh, he kills all of Laurie's friends. And in the end, uh, when he tries to kill Laurie and the kids, she's babysitting uh, inside of the home of Tommy Doyle, the kid who Laurie Strode is babysitting. Uh, she ends up <laughs> killing him. Uh, by well she ends up defeating michael myers by stabbing him with a sewing needle and stabbing him with his knife when he's trying to break into the slat uh the closet by like destroying the slats of his fist <laughs> um <and laughs> i remember that one so when laurie is like fighting off michael she ends up taking his mask off and right in the moment that his mask comes off who would appear but dr loomis his psychiatrist to shoot him six times and have him fall off the balcony um halloween 2 begins exactly where halloween 1 left off and that entire movie takes place on the same night as the original so michael the end of halloween has michael like disappearing uh after he's shot and falls off the balcony and halloween 2 is basically michael walking to the streets of haddonfield uh the, the news is starting to filter that he's the one who committed the murders that happened that night and it, you know, it cuts back and forth between Michael walking through the city, Dr. Loomis and the sheriff of, of the town, Sheriff Brackett, like looking for Michael because he was shot six times and, you know, got up and walked away. Uh, and Laurie Strode is who, you know, had a broken leg and was stabbed in the arm, uh, is like recovering at Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. <laughs> so Michael ends up like finding out that she's in the hospital we get an awesome like ending chase sequence where you know he's going after Lori. Uh, it's revealed in that movie that Lori Strode is actually Michael Myers' sister, and Doctor Loomis, when he finds out, ends up like you know going to the hospital by commandeering the marshal, the car of the marshal who was supposed to be sending him back to the sanitarium, and uh, 
he ends up he ends up killing both he and Michael with a hospital room explosion. <laughs> uh, Halloween three has nothing to do with the first movies. It is a completely <laughs> it's a completely like standalone sequel that that's supposed to be like these silver shamrock masks that are going to turn kids into like bugs essentially so for those commercial players. So for those that don't know, originally the Halloween series was supposed to be like an anthology film and each film was going to be something different. But then Halloween three did so fucking bad because they did nothing to like separate it from the Michael Myers series that they just immediately went back to Michael Myers by f- for four. Right. Like, they wanted to essentially see how this would be and where this would go. And this wasn't, like, it wasn't something that was unheard of, right? Like, Twilight Zone had done it. Uh, there was Creep Show that had come out in the 80s, uh, which was, like, a, a movie of vignettes and segments. Um, but I feel like, yeah, it's like, I... I, I... People now will talk about how much they like Halloween 3 and that it, it would have succeeded had it not been part of the Halloween franchise. I actually don't think it's that much of a good movie at all. I like it. I still watch it every year because I watch all of these movies every year. But um, but I don't think it's as great as everyone else thinks it is. <laughs> and I think if it wasn't uh, tied to the Halloween franchise, I think it would be one of those movies that you'd never think about and that would have just disappeared and not really been talked about but anyway that movie caused such a revolt that what's it called john carpenter deborah hill did try to make a halloween four there were disagreements between them and the producer mustafa akkad uh so john carpenter basically said fuck this i'm already a successful director in the 80s anyway because the thing uh, escape from new york the fog like he was already doing stuff and his heyday was the 1980s really Mm-hmm. So he sold all the steak he had in Halloween. Mustafa Akkad decides to hire, you know, his different, his own people, uh, you know, a, a director and writer and all that kind of stuff for Halloween four, which is essentially supposed to bring everything back to more of what the original movie was about, except Jamie Lee Curtis is a big star at this point, And she's not going to come back to do horror movies anymore. You know, she did Halloween. Well, she did Halloween. She did Halloween two. She did prom night. And the last movie that she did in the horror uh, series was a movie called Terror Train. (laughs) And essentially what happened is that she wasn't really getting a lot of work uh, after she did Halloween. And she was just doing like guest spots on television. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't until after Halloween 2 that uh, she actually started getting more work and she got more popular. And And then she went on to do True Lies. Yeah. So, you know, at that point, it's like she is already a star. We're not going to bring her back anymore it's your choices are either you're going to recast Lori Strode with another actress or you're going to center it around another character. So for some reason they decided that the best character to center this around was Jamie Lloyd, uh, who is supposed to be the daughter of Lori Strode, uh, whose parents had died in a car accident (laughs) a year before. So Jamie is like now living with a foster family and one of the people in the movie who she is closest to is her ste- is her foster sister Rachel. Mm. So the premise of Halloween Four is Michael Myers like has been in a maximum security sanitarium. Uh, <laughs> he has bandages around his face because he was in an explosion in the hospital. Uh, apparently, Loomis was also at that uh, <laughs> at that maximum security hospital. 
or he's still at Smith's Grove, but no one really listens to him anymore because he's just like a crazy old man now. Uh, I was once a hero. Okay, Grandpa, I need you to go (laughs) sit down. Yeah, they think that uh, they decide to move Michael Myers on the night before Halloween again, because, of course, that's what you should always do. Um, and he ends up like it's like no one learned. Yeah. It's fucking like three movies about this. He ends up fucking mutilating everyone in the ambulance. That's I'm so surprised. Him. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, Halloween four is him going back to Haddonfield. He like electrocutes a guy on the power grid, so the power goes off in the entire city. He's being chased by a bunch of like basically like MAGA bar like goers <laughs> who are who are like encouraged by Loomis to become like a lynch mob that's like looking for Michael Myers. Oh my god, I fucking forgot about crazy <laughs> is this the birth of crazy Loomis? Like yes. he gets a fucking mob to go after people. Yep. He gets a mob to go after people. The mob shoots some guy like who they're not supposed to kill at all <laughs> thinking that he I was mean, Michael should've... Myers. I mean, to be fair, like we, the no mob should ever kill anybody ever. Yeah, but I mean, the, what happens in this? The reason why they, he ends up turning the mob loose on Michael Myers is because when they get back to the police station after they've picked up Jamie and Rachel, who are like, you know, uh, be, didn't realize they were being stalked by Michael, <laughs> is that Michael Myers essentially wastes an entire police department. <laughs> So uh, so that movie ends with uh, the state police, who they end up calling. Uh, they come and they shoot Michael Myers, uh, and he falls into some sort of mine shaft. And that's the end of that movie. Except, the, you know, the movie's not over yet. They end up going back to uh, the family that has been, has, Jamie has a, been adopted by. They end up going back to that house with Dr. Loomis and the sheriff. And the foster mother gets stabbed, presumably killed by Jamie in a clown costume with a pair of scissors in her hands, uh, who you are now led to believe is going to be the new killer. And uh, that's the end of that movie. So this movie, uh, it was it's the only movie in the Halloween franchise that was turned around in one year. Uh, so the original, so the original one was 1978. The second movie actually came out in 81, three years later. Uh, Halloween three was easy to turn around into 1982 because it was a completely different cast and a completely different story. Uh, but after after Halloween three, we didn't get another Halloween movie until 1988, and that I guess the success of Halloween four, and it was like a massive success. Uh, basically got them drunk <laughs> they, they became drunk with power because they thought that they could just start making a sequel a year and the problem is that the year that they picked you know to to launch their one sequel a year idea was actually the worst year they could have possibly chosen <laughs> uh, there was a writer strike that happened at some point in 88 it ends up uh, I, I, the movie Halloween 5 gets rushed into production without a completed script so the movie actually ends up changing uh, with so many different ideas like throughout production. And there's even segments of this movie that like that that people think exists somewhere and that even uh, Trankus, which is the studio that like owns the rights to Halloween, like the the main owner of the rights of that movie, uh, they've like even like on their Instagram page, like they will show like, 
that there was like canisters of Halloween five, like unseen footage that exists. <laughs> but this, all right, this is the movie that we're talking about today. And it starts with the ending of Halloween four, which is Michael Myers being shot by the state police and he falls through the mine shaft, except this time they throw a stick of dynamite down the mine shaft. And, and while they're about to throw the dynamite in there, it gives Michael enough time to sneak out and he falls into a river <laughs> as you, the explosion happens. You want to know what my, my earliest memory, my fondest memory of Halloween five was when we watched it at your house, we were kids. Like, I think you were probably 12. I was 10. Now, maybe a little bit younger. You might have been like, no, like 12 sounds accurate because I think I saw this movie for the first time around that age. All I remember is that we were watching it on TV and you were losing your shit because it showed how how Michael Myers got away uh, in, in part four. And you're like, he got away in the river. And I remember I was just sitting there eating crayons or doing whatever fucking smooth <laughs> brain crayons? thing I was doing. <laughs> And I was just like, yeah, bro, fuck yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, I was like super dying to horror. I was a little fucking terrified, like wuss boy. <laughs> so I like did not care, but you were just like marking out like it was fucking insane that this was going on. <laughs> yeah, well, basically this movie is directed by a completely different person than the guy who made uh, part four. They originally were going to bring back all the people who made part four, but the director decided, I mean, the producer, Mustafa Khad, decided to go in a completely different direction. They thought it would make the movie more prestigious or more, you know, basically they thought it would give the movie good press if they brought in a foreign director to come and uh, make this Halloween movie. Well, the foreign director didn't really know much about the Halloween franchise, period. He (laughs) really, I guess his original intent was to make this movie more like bride of frankenstein or frankenstein like he thought of michael myers as the frankenstein monster and his like wanted he basically wanted to do a subplot of like michael when he was living with the hermit that he ends up with so once he gets through the river michael myers essentially gets out of the river like once he reaches the end of wherever he was floating off to in the river he ends up going like to some sort of like cabin in some remote remote location where a hermit with a parrot lives <laughs> who uh he's not a pirate mind you no and michael was michael is apparently gonna kill this guy who like you know who lived in this cabin except he passes out the hermit decides to take care of michael myers for a full calendar year <laughs> he doesn't have like the equipment to like give michael sustagen through like a tube or anything like that like it's just like you're basically led to believe that Michael is in some sort of supernatural coma from one Halloween to the next. <laughs> Pretty much, like he's kind of like uh, the creeper in Jeepers Creepers, where if it's not Halloween, he ain't awake. <laughs> and you I know what? Sleep. And the reason why this feels so weird and so out of place from everything else is that this is actually the second sequence that was considered for this the original sequence of like how michael myers was going to come back to life was actually michael myers was going to be dead and he was going to be brought to life by some sort of punk witchcraft practicer named dr death dr death was going to be the guy who put that thorn tattoo on on michael's wrist and he was the guy who was going to bring michael back to life and i could even find it and post it on our instagram page but uh what's it called there are 
there are like uh like shots of there are photographs of this of the filming of this movie with that Dr. Death character standing over Michael Myers. <laughs> I hear like a deep exhale. You just hear like noticeable exasperated sigh. <laughs> this movie just remember when this movie was about one person who didn't originally have a name he was just the shade or the shape well michael he was always michael myers was he michael myers in the first one i thought they called him i thought he was credited as the shade or something he's shape. credited as the shape but i mean but the killer is still michael myers the guy Whatever. who loomis is yes. looking for is michael myers whatever the point is <laughs> this was about a guy who was obsessed with one woman and went on a fucking rampage for two nights or a night trying to find her suddenly there's druid death cults and then there's there's like this he becomes what jason was supposed to be which is this zombie like super strong zombie and then don't even get me started on the man in black man (laughs) okay this is the best part of this and i wanted to wait until we were on this podcast to talk about this but okay the man in black was introduced in this movie during production. They had no idea who this guy was going to be. And I think at some point they said it could have been possible that he was Michael Myers twin brother. So that's why the same actor who plays Michael Myers in Halloween five is the same guy who's playing the man in black. (laughs) Um, And of course, at the end of the movie, because why the fuck not? uh, This man in black is actually the one who ultimately like, sets everything into motion for the next movie so this movie is again about jamie lloyd except this time she's a mute she's now at like a children's (laughs) psychiatric facility uh for some reason her foster family is still keeping tabs (laughs) even after she tried to murder the mother uh they end up reversing course on halloween four uh basically they're saying okay jamie's not a killer in fact she was being influenced by michael byers (laughs) Uh, she is basically has an E.T. and Elliot connection to Michael where like when he does something, she'll do it. Uh, she or like she's Professor X or something when it comes to her and Michael, because she has an, a rough idea of where he's going to be and what he's going to do. And part of a lot of the movie is just like her, like convulsing, like having visions of what Michael's doing. And of course, this is like, the most fucking batshit crazy Dr. Loomis in any of the movies in the franchise because all he does in this movie is grab Jamie, shake her, ask her to tell him where Michael Myers is so that he can find him uh, (laughs) and like demand that she tell him what the root of his rage is because that's what he needs to find out to stop him. Um, My favorite part was after seeing her, I guess her uh, adoptive, oh no, her foster sister get killed or like seeing the corpse get wheeled out. Loomis, instead of comforting her, goes up to this little girl and says, do you see now? Do you see now why you must help me? (laughs) And it's so funny because even though he has no rank in the police force, the police just go along with anything he says, but they begrudgingly do it. Well, yeah, because like, well, you the, can okay. arrest him at any point. All right. So, the, 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 I mean, 
the sheriff in in Halloween Five is the same sheriff as Halloween Four, and in Halloween Four, it's his daughter who gets the shotgun through the gut death from Michael Myers. So his daughter is most definitely dead. And the most fucked up part about it is when Dr. Loomis goes up to him, he goes, how many people were killed last year? Did you forget about your daughter? And then he gets like fucking angry. He goes, I didn't forget about it, you son of a bitch. And like grabs Loomis. I'm like, God damn, Loomis is a fucking dickhole in this. Oh my God, it's ridiculous. Like this is the absolute most insane he's ever been. So we we also follow what, what was the girl's name Jamie right Yeah Jamie's so we the fo- little girl So we follow her foster sister and all her horned up friends And the crazy thing too is that the foster sister in Halloween 4 is actually a lot more like Lori She is the conservative I don't put out for my boyfriend and that's why he's going to screw the sheriff's daughter like she is that kind of character Yep And in this movie for some reason like she just wants to be naked all the time. <laughs> There's even that scene where she goes to the party and they're like, hey, do you want to go skinny dipping? She's like, you just want to see me naked. And oh, well, go- that's okay. So so the dark haired girl who is Tina. Is, oh, that, that was Tina. Yeah, my bad. She is the best friend of the foster sister. Gotcha, gotcha. So now for some reason... Tina, who we'd never even seen before this movie, is Rachel's best friend and is such a good friend with her that apparently, like, Jamie loves her like a sister as well. <laughs> like, it yeah. doesn't make any sense how they're this close. Like, she's it, just like, I suddenly love this little girl and will defend her with my life. <laughs> it's, because... like we, it's like when we did the Exorcist 3 episode and like Kinderman like tries to say that he and Davy and Karis were best friends. And I was like, what the fuck? When did that happen? It's like, like no, the that, fuck you weren't. <laughs> that's, a, that's what this is like, is that all of a sudden this like character who is annoying uh, and nothing like the character of Rachel, who like we actually cared about in the last movie. Like she's supposed to be the one who we're supposed to care about making it out of this and getting Jamie out. And like, no, I don't like her. Uh, she doesn't really care about Jamie. Her boyfriend is like an abusive guy who's also named Michael. And he's apparently like an eighties greaser. He's apparently a fifties greaser in 1989. <laughs> and the best part is that he also, Oh, what, lo and behold, what's he going as Michael Myers at one point. <laughs> no, he's not going as Michael Myers. Oh no, no, no. that's wearing, one of, that's one of the other friends. Yeah, sorry. These are very nondescript, like yeah, stupid teenagers. All, they all look alike. <laughs> they all look very nondescript. They all look the same. Tina is out there getting horned up, and then you know, because Rachel's the one that bangs her boyfriend, I'm I was assuming that she was the slutty friend. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it it's yeah, like Rachel is, is presented as a completely different character. Uh, the director, I, I don't think the director watched Halloween 4 or had any th- interest in like going back to anything in Halloween 4. Originally, they were going to bring her back for one scene and they were going to have her get a pair of scissors shoved down her throat and that's how she was going to die. <laughs> and apparently, the actress who played Rachel, Ellie Cornell, just said, yeah, I'm not going to come back for that. <laughs> I was, oh, and she, like, she said... An actual fucking role. <laughs> well, she said she'd come back if they gave her more money and they gave her a death that wasn't as brutal. <laughs> so... He ended, she still got a pretty brutal death. <laughs> well, he got stabbed with the scissors, but it's not the same as getting the scissors down your throat, apparently. Eh, whatever. <laughs> she didn't get throated by scissors. <laughs> no, she just got fucking murdered with a scythe. 
yeah. It's it's yeah. This movie is stupid. Oh no, that was Sam. I'm sorry. Sam was on the Oh, oh my god, they all look alike. <laughs> yeah, this movie is like there's no good characters in it the movie doesn't make any sense it's very disjointed there's some a halloween pageant at this like asylum for kids uh for some reason jamie wants tina to be there even though their relationship makes no sense uh jamie ends up escaping she's a mute in the beginning of this movie and then at some point she's not a mute and she's able to talk all the time now she magically learns to talk and (laughs) Uh, it's like it's like and that's the thing it wouldn't be that bad if they weren't if they didn't hammer in the home like i could buy it if it was just psychological trauma she always knew how to talk but she actually knows like asl and communicates with people (laughs) using sign language so that's why i'm like this is such fucking stupid bullshit yeah and and, you know (laughs) what's it called the myers house makes its triumphant return to this franchise for the first time since part two Except uh, they are no longer shooting in Southern California. They shot this movie in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mm-hmm. And the director decided that instead of finding a house that looks more like the house from the original movie, it's like some sort of gothic mansion looking house. I know. <laughs> when they hang the fucking sheriff out the window, I was like, wait a minute. That's not what the fucking Myers house looked like. <laughs> yeah. But the Myers house looked like a weird suburban house. Like it wasn't gothic and shit. Yeah, it's like a gothic castle in the the middle of this american suburb <laughs> like transylvania music to play as like lightning strikes in the distance <laughs> yeah. and for some reason in this movie there's a bizarre scene in the middle where dr loomis goes with a gun to the myers house and he sees michael there or michael is there following him or something and then all of a sudden like he's looking for michael like when michael was driving a car trying to run over jamie and her little pirate boyfriend like it, th- this movie goes in so many wild different directions so as bad as night okay nightmare on elm street 5 is bad mm-hmm. it's it's overly complicated for no reason um it, the friday the 13th part 8 is just awful and yeah. none of the and none of the movie like it's just a stupid idea and it's just executedly executed poorly and stupidly this movie feels like it has no narrative structure to it like no, this scenes movie feels are just... like it's all just strung together yeah and the only thing keeping it together is that michael myers is in all of them right like it just feels more like a collection of scenes so you get confused as to who characters are um subplots don't make any sense <laughs> uh, you have no idea what Loomis is even trying to do with Michael. Is he trying to kill him or is he just trying to capture him? Why does he only want to capture him? Like, um, so we can study him. <laughs> um, how did Haddonfield like ha- respawn an entire police force one year after they all got wasted by Michael Myers? <laughs> oh, that's not that hard. You know, you just, just, put, out, <laughs> just put out some classified ads. It's fine. Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, police don't get that much training anyway. no no i mean we all know that illinois (laughs) this great state of illinois (laughs) puts a lot of training in their police force but no it's like uh, it, it, it it just gets weirder and weirder the end especially the end of this movie the The fucking movie has the less cool version of the terminator 
police department shootout scene. Well, before that, the, so the scene where they're in the Myers house, there's, what I do love about this is the awesome chase scene where Michael is chasing Jamie throughout like the Myers house. Like, the oh, house that's is right. Huge. Yeah. Jamie's small and she can hide in the vents and stuff like that. Like it, 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 that part She's- of it is cool. Like she's a tiny little child, so she can get in all these nooks and crannies to get away from him. <laughs> yeah, like that that stuff is fine. That stuff is cool. It's probably the best stuff in this movie. Um, where it doesn't make any sense is <laughs> Loomis is essentially like just dangling her for Michael Myers to follow him. <laughs> like basically him putting this child in danger <laughs> to capture Michael Myers. So like Loomis is just out of his goddamn mind in this no. movie. <laughs> My favorite part is when you think he's gonna save uh Jamie and then he literally just starts saying he starts yelling at Michael, She's here! Come and get her. <laughs> yeah, so he like he leads Michael into like the living room. And then this like giant like chain net falls on him, <laughs> and Loomis just starts. <laughs> Loomis shoots him with tranquilizers and starts beating him with a two by four. <laughs> That'll teach you. I don't know what, but it'll teach you. <laughs> and even though Loomis some- ends up, even though Loomis ends up coming back in the next movie, basically what the intent was here is that Loomis was actually supposed to die after he beat Michael. So basically, like had a heart attack, like while he was beating Michael with the two by four. Honestly, that would have made a lot more sense if they just went with that. <laughs> like I wish they went with that because the fact that his undoing is that he just walks up the fucking staircase and screams, and we never see him again in part six. It's stupid. I think it's stupid. Well, that was the intent. It's just like because that's why he's not in the ending scene of this movie. Mm-hmm. The idea was that Loomis just died there, and so that's why. Like then you get this weird scene of Michael Myers like playing with his handcuffs inside a jail cell, and uh, the sheriff is saying that the National Guard is going to come pick him up in the morning. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the National Guard doesn't do things like that. But... <laughs> Oh, we better call out the National Guard to come pick up this one prisoner, you know. This one prisoner that wiped out two fucking police. They learned their lesson. They're not going to transport Michael Myers on Halloween. They're going to wait till November 1st to do it. Yeah, (laughs) Day of the Dead, idiots. But uh, right before, you know, this movie ends, then you get the man in black showing up and he ends up machine gunning the entire police force. (laughs) So the entire police department gets wiped out again for the second time in two years. Don't be a cop in Haddonfield. That's what I learned. (laughs) And uh, Michael Myers gets absconded by the man in black. And uh, Jamie's just walking through the jail cells in the police station and sees that Michael is now gone. I love when the cop that's like charged with taking care of Jamie was like, oh, God, they're shooting in there. You wait right here. You'll be safe. (laughs) And immediately abandons the child that's been down down by a serial killer. Yeah. And okay, so so Halloween 6, where it goes from here, is... You find out, well, in the producer's cut of Halloween 6, uh, Jamie Lloyd was actually kidnapped along with Michael Myers. They're thrown in the back of a van and they're like basically taken to the basement of Smith's Grove where the Thorn Cult is there. And you find out that the Thorn Cult is actually the people who turned Michael into a monster and uh, they make Michael impregnate, ja- impregnate Jamie because Michael needs to kill everyone in his bloodline. 
<laughs> and so he needed to make a baby to kill the baby to finally wait. end his bloodline. But <laughs> wait. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, there's several fucked up things here. One, it's his niece. Two, it's a minor. Three, why are you going to make a child so that you can end the bloodline? Why don't you just kill yourself and that ends the bloodline? Does you just kill the Yeah, you just <laughs> kill the kid and kill yourself. Like <laughs> Yeah. So you went so Michael ends up feeling more like a henchman to this cult because essentially like Michael once he kills the last person in the bloodline, the curse that turned him into a monster is actually going to be passed on to someone else. Oh, yes. There was a <laughs> curse. I totally forgot. Paul Rudd is in that one. <laughs> yeah, that's the only good thing about that one is that Paul Rudd's in it. America's yeah. favorite dad. <laughs> Paul Rudd and Dr. Loomis. I mean, I like that. <laughs> Give Don't me that. worry. Don't worry, y'all. This immediately gets retconned. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> and then Halloween H2O just blows this entire thing. But uh, before we like end this show, I did kind of want to... <laughs> so after Halloween 5 the rights for the Halloween franchise were sold to Miramax and there was another director who was making movies at Miramax Pictures who was starting to make a name for himself in the early 90s his name was Quentin Tarantino and he made uh, a very popular movie called Reservoir Dogs never heard of it which Javi like loves <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> so coming off the success of Reservoir Dogs Miramax actually wanted Quentin Tarantino to direct Halloween 6. And uh, Quentin Tarantino's idea for Halloween 6 was actually going to pick up right at the end of Halloween 5. And he his idea for this, and I shit you not, like this is like, it, it is recorded and, and like it is known that this is what he was going to do. He was going to make a road movie that was about the man in black driving Michael to different remote locations and Michael would murder people at all these locations and immediately after they escaped the police station in Haddonfield they were going to be on the road for a good time of the movie then they would keep stopping off in diners and stores and have it sounds like Michael Myers and this guy were going to have long Tarantino-esque conversations in this movie yeah that's a great idea let's have a Let's have the quietest fucking serial killer in all of like slasher movie history be in a Quentin Tarantino movie that's 90% dialogue driven. Yeah, and I guess I, I have a feeling that what they were really going to do is have Michael Myers talk and have this guy talk. I would and- love if he had like a stu- like if they did do that and he had like a stupid nerd voice. <laughs> hey, my name is Michael Myers. Hey, man in black. You want to you want to you want to play shoot some letters i don't know i couldn't think of a nerd game no it's like i would if nothing else reboot the halloween franchise just to give me that one movie that is literally the plot to from dust till dawn <laughs> i don't doubt that like tarantino took those ideas and like sprinkled them throughout movies he made later oh or movies God. he was involved with later but yeah that's but that's anyway that's the end of the discussion that we've had on these three movies 
horror movies of, or horror franchises in 1989. So the big takeaway was we hated them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and these three movies effectively jumped the shark <laughs> and essentially started the decline of the horror movie franchise. And you know what? Like, I mean, I feel like this thing happens every couple of decades. I love what I love about horror is that it's such a versatile genre. Mm-hmm. That, like any time that you think it's dead like literally at the end of the aughts like after saw was petering out and paranormal activity was stopping to make movies i i literally thought that the horror genre was dying because they had to go movies. back and re like and reboot friday the 13th nightmare on elm street and yeah it was around the time that uh that uh rob zombie did his tried to do his reboot of halloween Mm -hmm. and it's like there was a certain time where it's like horror looked like it was done like there was nothing original coming out but as we learned what you'll learn when it comes to the horror community all it takes is one good one yeah and i think and you know what And, and i think big studio horror did die with the odds for the most part because I think a lot of the stuff that came after that was really indie horror. Indie horror is like what took center stage like in the 2010s and and it's kind of brought the genre all the way back. Uh, thank you. You're next. We appreciate you. Yeah, you're next. <laughs> it follows. House um, of the Devil. Yeah. All those, all those douches we made fun of last week. Baba Duke. Yep. Gosh. Yeah, it's we're, we're we're and you know it's the Blumhouse stuff has come back and now because of Get Out it's brought back to a much more prestige franchise and we talked about Invisible Man which I am still saying that I would that I would I would wave the flag for it to get some sort of Oscar nomination this year. Well, <laughs> but uh, yeah, again, this was like this was it. Like you felt like everything was dying. The next uh, sequels in these franchises felt like they were the beginning of direct to video. And then Scream came out and changed absolutely everything. But mm-hmm. it is interesting to see, like, this was the point where <laughs> where they're like, we're just going to keep doing it until no one wants it anymore. And this year was the year that, like, no one wanted it anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. This was the year that literally everyone said why, like, collectively. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, anyway, we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I'm really happy that we got to do a really different episode from what we've normally done. It's been a marathon to watch these three things in time to record this before Halloween. But I do admit that the discussion that we've had on this, like the actual conversation is one of the more fun conversations that I've ever had on this show. <laughs> oh, totally. Like it's one of those where it's literally just us talking about our ideas. We don't feel like we're schlocking through it. Like, and if you guys have any other suggestions for movies that, uh, or any like things like this where where you want us to compare and contrast like or, themed you know, episodes yeah if you want more ideas for themed episodes like thank you i don't know why i was having blank like you know <laughs> i was having like a weird uh like couldn't think of words there but if you guys have any other ideas please don't be afraid to send them to us we are all about trying to you know do stuff uh, with our fans and um, you know and increase fan engagement and whatnot yep so again thanks for joining us We hope all of our listeners have a happy Halloween and uh, we'll be back next week for the first time in a long time doing non-horror and we will reveal what that movie is on our Instagram page next week. Yep. So my ghoulies of the night. Oh, Oh, and have candy. I don't know. Be safe, y'all.
It's still <laughs> <Yeah>. pandemic. <laughs> yes, please. This COVID still exists out there. So please have a fun, safe, socially distant Halloween. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, you spooky bastards.